You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Hi, everybody. This week's program is going to be a little different, at least by Wall Street standards, because today we focus on the long term, not the short term, and on inputs, not outputs. Coming up, what the head of global equities at Europe's largest fund manager wants from IR. Don't underestimate how critical you are as individuals to helping us as institutional investors make sure that we value your company correctly. But you need to give us the right information, understand the drivers, rather than telling us where you think your valuation should be. And what more and more Canadian investors want from IR. The kind of information that investors are getting about ESG issues isn't doing the trick right now. And later in the program, we'll be hearing from Justin Petit. Once a Wall Street M&A banker, Petit now offers strategic capital markets and business advice to some of the world's biggest oil and gas companies. And he's got some IR advice for national oil companies and other state-owned firms, and any company, thinking about a foray into public markets. In a phrase, don't forecast earnings, and don't let your investor relations pitch become your business strategy. If there's to be a role for publicly traded companies in the economy, it starts with them making investment decisions and thinking long-term. And and so it's up to the investor relations profession to, to guide us in that direction. But first, a look at some of the stories we've been following. Asian listed companies are choosing to spend more time on roadshows in their home region. Findings from the latest IR Magazine Global Roadshow Report show Asian cities make up five of the top ten most visited locations. That compares with three the year before. Observers say the trend is likely to continue, along with the growth and maturity of Asia's investment markets. A BNY Mellon survey shows North American and European investors are optimistic about the impact of recent years' changes to Japan's stewardship and governance codes. 19 of 20 institutions polled, with a total of almost $50 billion invested in Japanese equities, point to some improvement in issuer behavior since the introduction of the voluntary codes. Still, close to half say that their approach to investing in Japan has not changed. Meanwhile, an all-star group of U.S. corporate and financial executives released a set of corporate governance principles they hope will promote conversation on the topic and ultimately stimulate economic growth. The principles, which they call common sense, emphasize the importance of taking a long-term strategic perspective. In that regard, they discourage companies from providing quarterly earnings reports unless those reports are beneficial to shareholders. You can read more about these and other stories at irmagazine.com. And now, this. It's morning in Canada. Investors across the land are waking up. And the long, dark night is giving way to light. A growing body of evidence confirms that Canadian investors are, at last, incorporating environmental, social, 
and governance issues into their decision-making. The surprising thing is that investors care, right? We've been nattering about this for since 2010, and everybody's just said to us, investors don't care, they never ask us. Well, now, it seems, they do care. And they are asking questions. The problem, according to a recent poll of Canadian institutional investors, is that companies aren't answering the call. Almost two-thirds of investors surveyed said they often or always consider environmental and social issues for all investments. But less than one-third report getting ESG information sufficient to help them assess materiality to a company's business. Catherine Gordon is founder and president at Toronto-based communications consultant Simple Logic, which co-sponsored the survey. I mean, our conclusion is that investors need to be letting companies know what's going to help them the most. The, the key issue, from our perspective, is that investors haven't been pushing for it until now. Valuation is something which is, in the end, subjective. Uh, so I think that that tells us that investor relations officers can play a very important role in determining the value of your company. Determining the, the latest in IR Magazine's ever-popular webinar series looked at how investors use relative valuation to spot investment opportunities. Amundi's global equities head, Nicholas Meluish, urged IROs to focus communications on the drivers of share price. I think one thing that is particularly unedifying as someone that has sat through many meetings with senior management and with many investor relations officers in different countries, in different industries, is when the conversation kicks off with the CEO or the investor relations officer telling you why their stock is, mis is mispriced, why it's undervalued, and complaining about the fact that the share price is too low. I think typically if you adopt that kind of strategy, it tends to backfire. It's a real turnoff for investors. A much better way to approach it is actually to focus on, on, on the value drivers and to help the investor to understand your company better and help them to arrive at what is a fair uh, realization of valuation and value for your company. Malewish spoke to the movement away from quarterly earnings guidance and the potential impact on valuation. I'm not sure that it really helps the research process that much in the long run. Uh, I think probably time is better spent educating investors about uh, the various different drivers and things that can lead to variations from quarter to quarter rather than actually giving them the number that you then have to hit, which has always struck me as a European as being a rather uh, kind of false way of doing things. Uh, but the fact is we are stuck with guidance at the moment. And the problem is if you are the first person in a peer group to say, well, we're not going to give guidance, people tend to assume the worst and they penalize you for it. But I think there are examples where companies in the U.S. have declined to give guidance, there's been an initial shock, and actually over the medium term it's had very little impact on their, uh, on, on their valuation. And it's probably helped analysts in some ways to try and get to know the company better. The webinar also features Bloomberg's business manager for equity valuation, quantumentals and idea generation, Jonathan Greenberg. You can replay the entire broadcast at irmagazine.com. Our next guest also has strong opinions on the earnings guidance game. Justin Petit brings 25 years of advisory experience on major capital decisions as an oil company corporate development executive, investment banker, and management consultant. Now he leads the oil and gas transaction advisory practice at IHS Energy. Like Mahuish, 
He'd also like to see more IR conversations focus on the inputs rather than outputs of corporate activity. Well, I think there are a lot of uh, misconceptions around what Wall Street wants, and and that really is is the start of the problem for many publicly traded companies. You you shouldn't um, you know focus on any one particular shareholder, but in aggregate, you know, I I don't think the shareholders are asking CEOs to go out and make silly short-term decisions for the gain of short-term financial metrics at the consequence of the long-term health and vibrance of the business. I asked him if he saw signs of change. I, I don't know. I, oh, I, I think right. right now what we're really seeing is probably more activity by private capital than by publicly traded companies. I think, if anything, um, publicly traded companies have become so risk-averse and so short-term sighted in their focus on quarterly earnings that they're allowing private capital, whether it's pension money or private equity or infrastructure funds, to come in and invest and undertake projects that do have risk, focused on the long term. And, and frankly, um, you know, we're, we're evaluating more investment decisions by private capital today than we are uh, for publicly traded enterprises. So how can listed companies get back in the game? People need to stop giving earnings guidance and, and you know, focus on the business. It's, it's uh, that, that short-term trap that people get caught in that ends up being the death knell. You know, the earnings guidance game is almost a bypass of a, of a healthy IR function. You know, in, in many cases, it, um, it's entirely uh, an exercise in revealing near-term accounting numbers rather than a good wholesome discussion around the business and its challenges and its opportunities and risks and the strategy to leverage the capabilities of the enterprise to the greatest extent possible. And that would be a really fun role for um, exceptionally skilled investor relations staff. Revealing whisper numbers to the street is um, a bit of a dead-end job. And there is indeed a pool of investors that want that long-term focus. Every company gets the investors they deserve. Given that premise, Petit says CEOs and their IROs must reclaim the conversation about strategy and execution. He says they have to just say no to Wall Street. He notes managers work hard on strategic plans and their execution. But when figures are tabulated, they often fall short of Wall Street expectations. Petit says executives often react by encouraging middle managers to redo plans, budgets and forecasts. Ultimately, he says, constructive dialogue about strategy and execution is replaced by an investor relations pitch laced with Wall Street speak, gap accounting, and endless metrics promising outcomes unrelated to a plan of specific actions. Petit rarely hears those sorts of conversations with his private equity clients. And he says it doesn't have to be that way in public markets either. The very, very first client I ever met I started my consulting career, and I um, went off with my senior partner to meet uh, with GE. And we jumped in the elevator first thing in the morning. And who steps on the elevator? Jack Welch. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a really exciting career, advising corporations as a management consultant. Every day you're out there running into Jack Welch. And unfortunately, it didn't quite turn out that way. You, um, those, those are the exciting days. They're not all quite uh, that high profile. But I, I certainly do remember how upset he got when 
internal presentations began with the financials. It was very important that everybody understand within the company that the financials were an outcome, and therefore it should be the last page of the presentation and the end of the discussion, not the beginning. How many presentations today start and, frankly, end and, and don't get beyond financial metrics? Let's talk about our clients or our customers, and, and let's talk about the problems, the challenges they're facing. Let's talk about how we're going to help our clients solve their problems. What role can we play in that solution? What do you think? Do you find yourself beginning every conversation with a discussion of accounting outcomes? Can public company leadership be encouraged to provide a more insightful dialogue and to hold off on the discussion of outcomes until the end of the slide deck? Do investors and analysts even want to hang in there and listen? What could make them abandon the obsessive focus on filling in that empty spreadsheet cell for the next quarter's earnings? And as gatekeepers to the street, can IROs play a role in changing the conversation? Email us your thoughts. Better yet, send us a voice memo to editorial at irmagazine.com. And please, rate this program on iTunes. Thanks for listening. In Montreal, I'm Jeff Cossette. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app.